Hi, uh, welcome to Offsite, a series of interviews with theatre makers who work in unusual, site-specific, site-responsive and non-traditional spaces. This series was recorded over two weeks in December 2020 and is supported by the Arts Council. I'm Owen Winning and in this episode I'm talking to Sarah Jane Shields. guest is Sarah Jane Shields. Um, Sarah Jane is a freelancing lighting and set designer. She began designing as a member of Dublin Youth Theatre at the age of 14, uh, completing a BA in Drama and Theatre Studies in 2006 from Trinity and the Rough Magic Seeds program 2006 to 2008. From 2010 to 2017 she was co-artistic director of Wilfred Theatre Company she has received numerous nominations and awards for her work, most recently a nomination for the Irish Times Theatre Award for Best Lighting in 2019 and 2016, and winning, winning that award in 2015. Uh, Sarah Jane, nice to see you. How are you getting on? I'm very well. Um, I, I feel like I should take the age of 14 out of my biog <laughs> at this stage in life. <laughs> okay. I think it's a it's a nice detail actually. Um, so this could I'll, I'll start into it anyway and I'll talk about maybe going back to maybe that age. But uh, what was the first play you remember going to see? Um, it was Cats in the Point Theatre at the time in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Do you remember anything um, about it? I can tell you the year. I remember being really scared of Macavity the Mystery Cat. <laughs> cavity the mystery cat was was kind of like jumping around the auditorium so all you could see was his glowing eyes it's quite scary do you remember what age you were no but i was very young okay um did you go to see a lot of uh shows uh mainly musicals my my mum and my granny were big musical fans kind of both on stage and on screen so uh, those were the first one first kind of shows that i would have been exposed to okay uh, when did you start thinking you might like to work in theatre? Pretty much, I think from as long as I can remember. Um, I kind of started really? off in dance schools um, uh, while wanting to be in musicals and did like a, a unfortunate stint in um, uh, freestyle dance competitions, which we won't speak about anymore. Um, and then um, joined Dublin Youth Theatre, as, as you said, at the age of 14 and... Um, I wasn't sure, I, you know, kind of at that point I realised I wasn't actually meant to be on the stage. Um, so discovered other other ways of, of working in, in theatre. Hmm. Um, did you do any formal training or did you sort of learn the craft by doing? I mean, I did the degree in, in Trinity, but at the time, um, you know, but before the Lear, it was the only really third level education well, I mean, there's plenty of um, different models of it, but um, 
um, academic, you know, and quite broad. So you, you covered a lot of topics, you know, there was um, a lot of research and uh, theatre history, which is, is quite useful. And um, in my course as well, we did modules in set costume and lighting design as well as directing and performance. So, I mean, it was quite a lot to cover. Mm. So you, you couldn't really get um, detailed uh, study. So in a way, I was formal tra formally trained, but not necessarily uh, just in lighting design. Mm. That's nice and broad, though. Yeah, it really kind of uh, set me up to write a lot of funding applications. <laughs> um, who did you learn from most in your early career? Uh, Polly Constable. Um, right. So after college, I was lucky enough to um, be accepted onto the Rough Magic Seeds uh, program, which is a mentorship program. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of partnered with Polly Constable, um, who I knew very little of at the time. Um, and managed. I spent about three months over in London, basically following her around. And while I was there, um, you know, she's an incredibly prolific designer. And we were in the Young Vic, the Old Vic, the Royal Opera House, the Coliseum, Glyndebourne, um, a couple of black box studios, um, a couple of uh, open air events. And I learned an incredible amount from her, both um, um, a very strong woman um, who respects everyone who she works with um, as long as they respect her. So I think her mm. um, approach to working in this industry is as important as her uh, her career as a, as a designer. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I've seen some of her stills, like she's a fantastic designer. Um, she is, and she cycles around London on her, uh, what are those small fold-up bikes called? Fixies. Oh, like it's a specific name for it, but like she's, she's like a mad witch going around with stripy socks, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, you seem very comfortable with computers and technology. Uh, do you think that's necessary for a designer or just helpful? Um, I don't think it's necessary. And in a way, I don't know if it's helpful. I think um, I grew up learning how to design by being a technician and working as a programmer and mm. working with other designers. So in a way, my practice of designing is kind of rooted in technology. Um, but at the very beginning of every um, production, it's pen and paper for me, really, and just kind of sketches. Mm. Um, so I don't, I definitely don't think it's necessary. And with regards to if it's helpful, sometimes I think technology can kind of get in the way of ideas. I think if you're presented with um, a lot of fancy, expensive technology, you might kind of feel like you need to use it before choosing that it is actually necessary to use it, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I think very much kind of, yeah, kind of sticking with the, the essence of a good idea and then figuring out how to do it with the technology is is the right way to go for me anyway. And, mm. um, you know, there's no, there's no wrong answer out there. Yeah. Um, great. Um, you've done a lot of work outside of traditional theatre spaces uh, with companies like Anu and Broken Crow and your own company, Wilfred. Um, what is it about off-site performance that interests you? I think the unique challenges it um, produces. You know, it's it's a difficult, uh, sometimes difficult, difficult environment to work in, and so you have to kind of be a bit more creative with your solutions. And um, I think as well, um, there's a kind of an immersive quality for the audience that really appeals to me, both as a theatre goer and as a theatre maker. And mm. um, I think we, we all try to kind of immerse an audience 
in whatever kind of form of theater we're making. But in a way, um, there's a kind of a, a glamour associated with, with buying a ticket and going to see a show in a, in a traditional theater that uh, is has kind of knocked down when it's a site-specific or site-responsive piece. Mm. Did you say, sorry, did you say a glamour or a grammar? The grammar. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, do you, uh, so do you approach offsite shows differently um, like when you're coming up as a, approaching a new project as, as opposed to a, a traditional venue? Definitely, I mean, I think first and foremost, you can't ask a field what kind of lamps they have. Mm -hmm. um, so very often you kind of have to build your own uh, instrument. Um, whereas in a theater, you know, that there's a lot of infrastructure there for you to, to use. Mm -hmm. um, so if you go into uh, a warehouse or a, a house or an outdoor venue, like you kind of have to build your, you have to build your theater uh, first before you can start designing it. Mm. And then as well, you have to kind of consider things like, you know, power and cable runs, you know, that, that all kind of becomes a little more, a bit more involved in the design process. Do you, do you see that as part of your job as in how hands-on do you, do you like to be on the technical side of, of offsite shows in terms of rigging and power distribution and that? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm very good at it, <laughs> but I think it's, I think as a designer, you, you have a responsibility to take all that into consideration. You know, if mm -hmm. something is, ridiculously impractical to do then you really need to ask yourself is it worth fighting for it to be done mm. um, or can you find another way of doing it you know I think you have to listen to your crew and your production managers and your technician because um, they will find creative solutions as well but you need to kind of respect them and be flexible sure um, you uh, you won best offside production in 2012 um, for uh, farm um, Wilfred Theatre's farm which was a set on a farm or was performed on a farm? Could you tell me a bit about it and how it came about? Yeah, um, so farm was kind of, we, we, we marketed it as an interruption of space. So it wasn't performed on a farm, it was performed in a warehouse in Dublin City. I see. Because um, the co-creator Sophie was really interested in how close people in Dublin are to the countryside and yet, you know, it feels very far away. Um, so we... Um, yeah, we put a farm into Dublin City. Mm. And how did you find it? Um, stressful. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were a young company and um, I was looking after all aspects of the design. So I was kind of uh, sewing cushions whilst plotting lights. Oh, my God. Um, while the producer was flame-proofing piles of hay. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was to the wire. Um, but something, I think something really special happened, metal, which means kind of like, um, uh, I want to get this right now, it's kind of like um, um, a, a way of sharing and, and giving within the community. And I think um, making farm in Dublin City, like we really kind of felt that sense within the audience and with, within the company. Cool. Um, was it true that you had live animals in that show? We did. We had a horse and we had um, two ducks. <laughs> and what was that like? 
well, the ducks were quite messy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I, I think I think cleaning out the duck pen as part of a pre-show check. You know, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but there's a certain energy the horses have. They're they're incredibly calm, mm. um, and they kind of see more into you than uh, you can see yourself in a way. I think. I remember like moments of high stress. I just kind of go over and stand beside the horse. Um, what was his name? Oh my God. I can't remember his name. I think it was Frank or something. It's um, <laughs> a very no, human name for a horse. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of go over and stand beside him, mainly to hide, but also just you know, have a bit of a <laughs> Okay, so you'd, you'd recommend having at least one horse in every get-in? Mm, not sure but um i mean i learned from sophie that you have to be calm around horses because mm. they can kind of sense and react with emotion you know so i think that that was what that thought but i've also been in quite a few theaters where there's been dogs and cats i think mm. you know having an animal close by is a really great thing absolutely um so you uh you worked with um anu um on the boys of foley street um i'm going to be chatting with Owen Boss tomorrow um, and I'll probably ask him about the show as well. Um, what was your experience of it? Um, I mean, I love working with the new, I love the, the, the work that they do. I think it's really like there's such integrity to it, you know, mm. it's, a, it's a really enriching experience for the audience from, from the way that they make the work. Um, I think what I remember specifically about the boys of Foley Street was the, um, the kind of solutions we came up with, with how we would run the show. Um, so it ran for, I think, maybe 10 hours a day. Mm. Um, and it ran in different locations. So we had to find a way of uh, queuing the show um, so that, you know, if sounds or lights had to happen at specific times that we could control that. But there was also things happening out of sync and things that would happen um, at kind of regular intervals. So we had like multiple ways of um, queuing that show. Mm. And for me, for me and my interest in technology and, and um, programming, you know, that was actually a really um, satisfying challenge to meet. Um, so we had things like we had uh, lighting cues operated on um, on a desk that would take both the time of day, so like for example, but also that it would take kind of MIDI cues from magnets that a performer could pick up. So a performer could like pick up a mug and cue a sequence oh. of events whenever they wanted to, essentially. Amazing. Yeah. And then we also put a lighting desk into the we we also put a lighting desk into the boot of a car underneath the bridge. And um because we couldn't really hide an operator in the boot of the car, we triggered the sequence by the performer putting their hand out the window, which um interrupted a magnetic current. Wow. So when the audience arrives and it might happen at a different time, every time they could trigger that. That's um, amazing. Yeah, so I, I guess. That's an example of like a design that kind of is fairly rooted in technology out of necessity and something that was quite interesting to, to do. Mm. Yeah, I had, I had no idea there was so much um, technical uh, like jiggery pokery around the sides of that. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, okay, this is great. This is exactly the kind of <laughs> information I'm looking for. Um, what sort of challenges crop up when you're working on site-specific shows that, that don't happen in traditional venues? Um, I've mentioned before power. Mm. You know, it's, um, 
electricity is an incredibly dangerous thing. You don't want to mess with it, but um, to, to put on shows, sometimes you need quite a lot of power. Mm. Um, uh, it is changing, but to, to turn lights on and off, you do need a lot of cable. So I think, you know, often, you know, you, you put your cable spec in and then you quadruple it. Yeah. Um, operating positions, you know, very often. So, you know, you've chosen to do a show in a site specific venue in order to immerse the audience in an incredible experience. You don't particularly want to have a black curtain beside the front door with, you know, the technicians behind it. <laughs> sure. So I think, again, kind of the boys of Foley Street shows different ways. Um, so... Those are the challenges, but I mean, what are what are the benefits? Are you, are you've spoken about it being immersive. Um, obviously, um, you know, you might have more access possibly to a space. You might be able to be in there for weeks before the show. But what other like what do you like about working uh, offsite that you just can't get from a traditional venue? I think what I like about it is, is what I like about it as an audience member. So it's the immersive quality. Mm. It's the very often maybe freedom of movement to kind of choose when and how long to spend on an experience. Um, the idea that you kind of need to be a little bit um, clever with, uh, I think maybe dramaturgically, you know, as when you're making a show, you need to be clever with the narrative, you know, how, because the audience are kind of making the story as they go along. Mm. Um, you know, the plot might be the same, but the stories can be different for every audience member. So kind of taking that into consideration. Is, um... mm. Cool. Um, you, you said there that you, you don't um, like to put like theatre lanterns into uh, offsite spaces if they don't look like they belong there. Um, what kind of equipment do you like to use? Like I have, I have a memory of you driving up to project with like a car full of practicals. I know you have a lot of your own stock of sort of vintage uh, pieces. <laughs> what's, your, pieces. What's, your favorite, what's your favorite stuff? Anything really. Um, I think, so if you kind of, first of all, it kind of depends on, on the project and um, the themes of the project, where it's set, when it's set. Um, yeah. You know, if it's site specific, you want to maybe kind of tailor the type of lighting you use to what you might have found there. Mm. Um, I kind of mentioned before that you don't need the, the power or the precision of theater lamps in a site specific room or a warehouse. So you can use light bulbs and kind of, you know, use lampshades to kind of help with the design. Mm. Um, I think as well, using the space as a light box could be, can be useful. So, I mean, with the development of LED technology and we can basically get LED tape to go anywhere. So mm. it's interesting sometimes to look at a space and see how you might transform it um, kind of subtly for the audience. Like for example, if we're uh, in um, the barracks of Collins barracks, you know, hiding LED tape underneath the beds can make them become coffins in a mm. later scene, you know, kind of yeah. take the audience away from the site specific space as well, which is mm -hmm. kind of a powerful thing to do. But as you well know, I will use anything I can get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, call in all the favors. Um, to what extent uh, do practical considerations override artistic ambitions when you're working offsite with all the architectural access, time limitations, things like that? I think the limitations, I think you need uh, to be responsible. I think you need to keep, have them in your head from the beginning. 
Um, I think there's, um, you know, there's no point having grand ideas when you know that it's not going to be able to, to see them through. Mm. So certainly for me, um, if, for every production, like even going into a theatre, like knowing how big the stage is, how many lights I have, going into a site-specific venue, knowing that um, we only have this amount of power, mm. or being outdoors, knowing that we're going to have to, you know, design for all weather scenarios. Sure. Um, so having a, like a degree of practicality. Patients almost shape the artistic. Yeah, I think, and for me anyway, I think the limitations kind of shape the artistic thinking. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, have you ever worked on an offsite production and wondered why it wasn't just being produced in a traditional venue? As if, you know, maybe the site didn't add anything to the production. No, but I have worked on an off-site production that then went into a theatre and suffered from it. Okay, what was that? Um, Neon Western. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think the, the the show was produced in Cork in a warehouse and it was very much a kind of a late night rave kind of vibe to Sure, it. yeah, I saw um, it down in Cork. Yeah, and it worked because I think, you know, it was late, it was 11pm when the show kicked off, so, you know, it felt late. Mm. Um, and then when it was transferred to the fringe, it had to be on at a kind of a festival time, which mm. was 8 p.m. in, and it was in a theater, and it kind of you know lost an edge, I think. Yeah, was it? It was in the Beckett, was it? Or yeah, yeah. So like a big, like a big space, but certainly not, you know, anywhere near the scale of the the massive warehouse down in Cork. Like mm. yeah, um, I and could see. Like that, we, had to, yeah. we had to kind of. You know, tailor the back to make try and look like a warehouse. It just didn't really work. Mm, yeah. Um, okay. It's good. Yeah, good to think of that. Like, as in, when you are considering touring something, like maybe if it is, maybe it needs to be not necessarily a certain warehouse, but a warehouse as opposed to a theater or something like that. Um, in site-specific shows, do you try to include elements of lighting that are, I think you've answered this already, that, that are native to the space? Or uh, do you prefer to introduce lighting elements that may not necessarily belong in the space but provide interesting images? And I think you're probably going to say both and it depends on the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, from the show. Um, I think there's um, there's validity in kind of lighting a space traditionally the way it would have been and kind of then um, undercutting that with a bit of magic. Um, mm. Maybe with hidden lighting, but, you know, I think putting in something that was at odds with the space wouldn't feel very right. Mm. Um, do you have any collaborators or other designers or production managers that you particularly like to work with on offsite shows? Hmm. Um, I didn't read down this far in the question list. I've worked a lot with Peter Power um, and he kind of 
has put a lot of audio installations in. So I think, mm. you know, we both understand the, the difficulties and the, the benefits of working in an off-site space. Mm. Um, I worked with a lot of good production managers who um, also have like a kind of a background in festival work and event mm. work. So I think that's really kind of beneficial, you know, because there's a lot more to putting a show on in the field than there is just putting it on in the theatre. Um, yeah, I was talking to Pete Jordan this morning and he was, we were chatting about the the benefit of building up a, a sort of a roster of people who provide the individual things, whether it's, you know, um, mm. toilets or water or staging or, you know, hire companies. And it seems like that's a, that's a really big consideration when you're designing offsite, you know, who is, you know, if you have to bring in all that infrastructure, who is going to, to supply it? I think so. I mean, I've, I've done um, the outdoor Shakespeare and Kilkenny twice now. Um, and I think third time will be a charm because every time we've done it, we've learned a lot about what we're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Designing and making something, you know, outdoors is incredibly difficult. You know, the, the, the weather alone, wind and rain is so destructive. Mm. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier as well. Um, <laughs> he did make the point that you know the weather hasn't changed that much so we should we should be more aware of it um what are your main influences as a designer or who um i i take a lot of influence from um photography um so kind of when talking to a director or the rest of the design team i'll use a lot of photography images to try and get um ideas across um, and then kind of looking at different kind of artists, like especially Edward, Edward Hopper shows up an awful lot because he uses light in a really interesting way, um, quite geometric as well. Mm. Um, um, you always seem to be very busy, uh, often working on more than one project in various stages of development. Uh, so how do you stay organised? Hopefully I'm organised. <laughs> um, <laughs> I... It's something that, you know, I think I've learned um, how to not do in the past many years. <laughs> um, a couple of years back, I kind of started to think of myself as a lighting designer full time, as opposed to myself working for this company for a certain amount of weeks and this company for a certain amount of weeks. Um, so in that way, then, by considering what I do as like a single job mm -hmm. for different clients, it made scheduling a bit easier and it made saying no a bit easier. Right. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, a, a, a full year calendar is actually a really good thing. I only started to do that a few years ago and actually seeing your year laid out in one, um, in one shot is, is, is useful because mm. you know, if, you, if you kind of go month by month, you're not really looking at the bigger picture. Mm. Okay. Um, that's yeah that's 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 a pretty straightforward way of looking at it i guess it's like um if you're if you're sort of like setting your hours you know and you're coming in and to work every day and you know that you can divide them up between different companies as opposed to just sort of concentrating on one i think you'd probably uh it's probably fairer for everyone and you probably don't get too focused on one path as well 
so I think like it's it's quite beneficial to work on um, more than one production at a time because I find often if you have if you're stuck if you've hit a block with one production that if you go away and think of something else for a while that very ways so looking at it as a whole as opposed to many individual parts for me works mm. cool um so classically a lighting designer will create an image based on the relationship between the performers and the audience with the knowledge that both parties are relatively stationary so i.e the audience is sitting in an auditorium and the performers are on stage uh, when you're working on shows in promenade or in settings where the audience are more free to move around, how do you adapt to that? I think you look at lighting the space as opposed to the performance. Mm -hmm. um, I think on stage when the audience aren't moving around, your job is to tell the audience where to look. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in a promenade performance, then you know the audience have different indicators. You know, very often it's their curiosity to tell them to go over and have a look at this corner. Um, it can be light to, to tell them where to look, but I think it's more about drawing attention to places in the in the space or in the architecture or in the room next door mm. um, to tell them that this is the next place to be. Um, for farm, for example, we had a, a fairly standard narrative. You know, each section came after the previous section and the audience weren't necessarily free to roam about you know we, there was nothing stopping them but we essentially just kept the rest of the space in complete blackness and nobody really went where they weren't meant to go mm. so i guess um sort of thinking about lighting and promenade it tells tells the person where to go and where to look as, as well because yeah yeah okay um i've been i was talking to thomas conway recently and um we were talking about the Lear and the students coming up through and um, just made me think, uh, well, I was kind of asking, like, are students interested in working offside? And he was saying, yeah, they absolutely are. It's something they all consider. Um, what advice would you give uh, designers who are, are looking at working offsite, like maybe young designers, first time designers? Um, I would say, uh be cautious about being too ambitious because everything off-site takes at least four times longer and four times as much fail as you might think. <laughs> um, plan ahead and plan well. Mm -hmm. it's, very, it's, it's often much more difficult to change your mind once all of your lamps have been screwed into the ceiling. Sure. <laughs> um, and also, you know, your, your technicians have run cable through attics full of spiders and pigeons and everything else <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i think and just kind of be aware and and kind of you know always keep the limitations that you're dealing with in your head mm. um it can be a little tiring sometimes to, to always be the person in the room saying no we can't do that because or that's gonna be really difficult because but you know i think uh, i think designers and lighting designers are very technical people Mm. And so we have the skills to realize when something is going to become a problem and don't be afraid to speak up early and try and solve it before you get there. Sure. Yeah, I know it's, it's not unusual to be the, the one person in the production meeting kind of flagging something. All right. Um, our... Because specifically with lighting, you know, we kind of work as technicians, you know, yeah. and learn the trades by doing so, I think. We have the skills. 
Um, are there any spaces in Ireland that you'd like to design for it that you haven't been able to yet? Um, the Opera House in Belfast? I've never been in there. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I love musicals and I will use every opportunity to uh, put it out there to the universe that I want to work on big musicals. So I'd love to work in the ball gosh on a okay. big musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm a big fan of kind of the older theatres, you know, like the Everman. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, mm. It's really difficult to work in. It's really hard to design for. Um, mm. But I think it's just a beautiful theatre. Mm. But I have worked there quite a lot. Um, and are there any yeah. any spaces, like any non-theatrical spaces or... You know, I've seen some amazing spaces over the years that we've always tried to get into to make shows in. Um, you know, I haven't actually worked in the complex yet, so maybe that will happen. Soon. Okay, I think that could happen. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stick in it a few more years, and, and I'm sure somebody will will be putting something on in there. <laughs> um, so, how how has uh, COVID nineteen um, impacted on your work this year? Um, hugely, like all the rest of the industry, really. Um, interestingly enough, I've kind of seen a lot of my colleagues working in um, other aspects of design to kind of be able to uh, transfer their skills from theatre to film. I don't mm -hmm. think that's the same with stage lighting designers. I don't think it's, it, you can't transfer it as easy. Um, so, uh, in my idle time, I decided to go back and do masters um, in interactive digital media, which hopefully will upskill me to be uh, have a few more strings to my bow when we're back working again. Mm. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, there there has been an increase in companies moving online um, with performances either streaming or, or recorded. Um, have you been involved in any of those? Have you seen any of those? Yeah, I was involved um, in this beautiful virtual village um, that went online quite soon. Um, it was kind of a, it was a recorded performance on Zoom. Um, and that was kind of interesting because I think, you know, the Abbey were keen to keep everyone involved. And yet um, I was basically telling people to go stand beside their window. Mm. Um, that was my lighting direction for that show. Yeah. Um, but it was still lovely to be able to collaborate with people and, and be, feel connected to something. Um, yeah. We, Wilfred streamed a few shows, um, not necessarily to promote kind of streaming, you know, not, I don't think it's the same as going to, to live theatre, but we we streamed um, production of Care for um, to kind of promote um, the Irish Hospice Foundation during the Affidavit. Um, right. And then we kind of, we streamed a production of Bees because the ARC was doing some streaming for the young audiences. Um, I guess kind of what I'm interested in, what I'm learning in my master's at the moment is quite a lot of um, augmented reality and virtual reality. So I'm kind of researching the the resemblances in virtual reality to theatre because it's it's kind of actually closer to theatre than this to film. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Okay. Yeah. No, I definitely would <laughs> like to find out what you find because I think that's something I know absolutely nothing about and. Uh, mm -hmm. 
it sounds like it's going to become more and more of a of a, a player in the uh, kind of entertainment in the arts and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, I guess it's just it's exciting because there's no rules yet, so mm. you know, people are still trying to figure out how to use it, and it's the wild west. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so companies, you mentioned the Abbey there, um, but not only online, but like Abbey, Druid, Anu, they were all able to produce shows in outdoor settings um, in kind of in between the more stringent uh, restrictions. Um, but do, do you think there's an opportunity for companies to use spaces that allow for people to attend outdoors and use social distancing if this were to continue, say, into next year, which it may, may or may not. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it, really. I think, um, like, for example, um, the production of an Emma, you know, was a fantastic way for an audience to experience a performance, but also to um, experience the grand cinema. Mm. Um, you know, I certainly hadn't walked around there at 8pm on a dusky night. And it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so you're a fan. I'm a fan. Are people mm. not fans? Pardon? Are people not fans? Um, I haven't asked anyone else about it. I, I, I presume everyone is kind of into it. I just, I suppose it's a question of, I suppose the real question is sort of, will people be more forced outdoors and out of traditional venues? As in, will they, will companies kind of go, look, the only way I can make this show is if it is on a beach or you know, in a park or something like that. Um, but I guess it's probably, it's too early to tell in a way. So. I think so. I think the, that there is still a really healthy appetite. You know, I think, you know, for example, Love Magic's production of Solar Bones, when it went on sale, it sold out in 20 minutes. And mm. um, obviously that's due to the lower audience numbers, but, you know, people still want to go to see a live event in a theater yeah definitely um the national remote working study from nuig in october reported that 94 percent of respondents would prefer to work partly or fully remotely post-crisis um, if this leads to a decrease in the use of workspaces and office spaces do you think there is an opportunity for these spaces to be used for artistic endeavors uh, in the near future I think it would be fantastic if that was possible. Um, I think the idea of a building full of artists is on you. It can only be a good thing. Mm. Um, I'm certainly speaking to you from um, my desk in Rough Magic, where I'm on a top floor with five other artists as well. So, you know, I think um, if when you're self-employed working in, in theatre, you can be very isolated. Mm. You can, you know, be kind of stuck on a problem, whereas if you're in a building, you can go down and just kind of vent and somebody might have a solution or an, uh, um, a suggestion. Mm -hmm. And what would you think of uh, like those spaces being used as maybe performance spaces? Hmm. I would think that maybe we should be looking at open the resources for artists to make work before we try and increase the amount of performance spaces. Mm -hmm. That's fair enough. 
but um, in saying that, you know, it would be nice to have a little place to experiment, you know, so maybe if there was more workshop studio spaces where sure. designers could yeah, yeah. build and make and experiment. Absolutely. Um, designers um, are usually excited about finding new ways to use emerging technology. And, you know, we were just talking about virtual reality there. But is there anything that you've used recently that you'd recommend? Like, I mean, suppose for me, you know, um, in terms of new lanterns, new LEDs, new units or uh, new software, anything like that, that you're kind of going like, oh, you know what, this solved a, a problem that I've had for ages or I had this little unit and, you know, it, it's a, uh, I had great fun with it. Um. I'm I'm really bad at remembering the name of like intelligent life. It's just, <laughs> I need a, like a profile that does this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I have found useful and what I really enjoy using is um, the, the the new kind of wireless technology. Mm -hmm. um, so the likes of the Astero tubes and the, the Astero drop lights um, and the docu show by docus as well. So mm -hmm. and what I find beneficial with them is. Um, First of all, working in offsite spaces, you don't have to deal with cables. Yeah. Big, big good good idea. Uh, yeah, big um, benefit there. Big benefit, yeah. And then also, even the past few months, you know, there's been quite a lot of development going on, if not performances. Um, so if you go into a room and you want to just try ideas, like those kind of wireless units are really uh, easy, quick, and kind of versatile to move around. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to rerun cable and deal with heavy lanterns up and down ladders. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've been enjoying using over the past few months. And has uh, wireless kind of come along in sort of affordability and, and you know, their output and all that kind of thing? So, I think certainly in, in, in terms of their reliability. Right. You know, I, I did a production last year in the Crips in Dublin Castle, and I was worried because we were underground with, you know, stone walls that were meters thick. Sure. And yet, the wireless units I used were more than able to cope with that scenario. That was amazing, I thought. Yeah. You know, a place where you can't even use a mobile phone. Yeah, okay. Excellent. Um, well, thanks very much for talking to me. I'll, I'll just ask one question and then we'll, we'll call it there. But um, there's been plenty of talk about like a return to a new normal. Um, but from your perspective, what lessons should we learn from this year and how would you like to see those lessons used in future? I think we need to um, look after our health and our mental health, especially a lot more than we have been in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I think the working practices in, in theatre are um, incredibly kind of truncated and stressful, um, which doesn't help. I think long working days and and um, the pressure to get everything right the first time you know we're only having a few days to get a show up in a theatre is um, hopefully no more because you know now long longer fit up times and longer tech times um, more space in between sessions as well for people to mm -hmm. actually have a proper lunch have a proper dinner have a chat yeah um, I think there's been like dangerous work habits where people are under time pressure and you know they're running up and down ladders and it's it's not good um so i'd like to see that change cool yeah hopefully we will yeah. well <laughs> i think it's up to us to change it as well exactly yeah yeah i mean if the two of us 
you know, change that and, you know, we can be the trendsetters. I mean, I've been advocating for lunch for years. <laughs> I'm a big fan of lunch. Um, uh, thanks very much, Sarah Jane. It's really good to talk to you and I appreciate it. Thanks, so. I've enjoyed it. Cool. Best of luck. Thanks very much to Sarah Jane. Um, and thanks as well to the Arts Council for supporting this project and to astronaut Mike Dexter for composing the music. In the next episode, I'll be chatting to Paul Keoghan. Thank you.